to Psalm 93, pages 808 and 809, if you are using a pew Bible. Pages 808 and 809. The 93rd Psalm. I'm going to read this, uh, not from the uh, King James, uh, but from the old, uh, New King James, which is old today. Let's read this psalm together. Psalm 93. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne established of old, thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. Yea, the, the floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Uh, testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. The beloved people of God, today we're looking at Psalm 93, in which we see that the psalmist proclaims God's majestic kingship. The psalmist proclaims God's majestic kingship. Now this psalm, Psalm 93, is the first of eight, that is to say 93 through 100, a section that are, that are called, a section that is called the Kingship Psalms, the Kingship Psalms. Oh, 35 or so years ago, I did a, a series on this and did a series for uh, a magazine on these kingship psalms and made up a word, mokasho, M-O-W-C-A-S-H-O, mokasho. That was just a word I made up, an acrostic, uh, because using the first letter of each of the, the major thoughts for each of these psalms. And so the M was majestic, the O, Psalm 94, the omniscient judge king. Psalm 95, the worshipped king. Psalm 96, the creator king. We sang Psalm 96 today. Psalm 97, the awesome king. Psalm 98, the savior king. Psalm 99, the holy king. And finally, Psalm 100, our king. He is ours. He is ours, and we are his. And so today, then, we look at Psalm 93, the majestic king. This psalm celebrates, then, the sovereignty of God over all things. It divides very nicely into three sections. It's five verses long, and so 
the first section is the first two verses. The majestic reign. The next two verses, three and four. The mighty reign. And then finally, verse five, the righteous reign. The righteous reign. So let's look, first of all, then, at verses 1 and 2, the majestic reign. And the psalm just blurts it out. Just, as a matter of fact, uh, I was listening to Dr. Godfrey, Dr. Robert Godfrey, who was president of uh, Westminster Seminary in California for a number of years. And one of the things he pointed out in terms of this little psalm, he said a, a lady had asked him one time to preach on Psalm 93, and when he looked at it, it was like, he agreed to do it, but it was like, well, this is so simple. And yet it's very profound in terms of what the psalmist to say. And one of the things that Dr. Godfrey pointed out was that um, here in the, these first, this first section, it's almost like a, like a staccato. It's almost like a, like a machine gun. You know, it's the Lord reigns. He is clothed with, ma- with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength, and so forth. And so there's, there's a boldness to it. There's a simplicity to, a, to it. And here we find this overarching theme, then, of kingship, of sovereignty. The Lord reigns. You see, my friends, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That is to say, he has foreordained whatsoever things come to pass. How many do people, even church people, deny that idea of the sovereignty of God? But my friends, if God were not sovereign, none of us would have any hope. But God is sovereign. He reigns. He is the one who is the ruler. And this sovereignty then is good news for his elect, good news for his church. You know, in Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 52 and verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims to salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now that verse is often used, of course, to talk about the preaching of the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings of good things. The feet of him who brings good news, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of such a person. But what that verse is telling us at the very end, by the proclamation to Zion, your God reigns, what that verse is telling us is that the gospel consists in good measure of the proclamation that Zion's God reigns, that our God reigns. That's the point. It's on that basis, then, that he is able to provide that good news to us, that he's able to provide that gospel, that salvation. And so here we see then, the Lord reigns. And notice here, did you notice the the heaped up 
phrases. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. So you have these these phrases that are heaped up one upon the other. Now, this is not the only place where you find this, this kind of approach. If you look back at Exodus chapter 15, if you look back at Exodus chapter 15, of course, the Exodus, the destruction of Pharaoh and his, his uh, chariots uh, in the Red Sea. <clears throat> and so you, you find here, uh, for example, if you look at um, uh, if you look at verse um, uh, five, the depths have covered them; they sank to the bottom like a stone. Or the right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces, and so forth. And so, you find then the the doubling, even tripling sometimes, of expressions in order to emphasize the point, these heaped-up phrases. God is the one who is clothed. He is the one who is clothed, what? With strength. But notice something else here, as you find in verse 2, where the psalmist says, Thy throne is established from of old. Indeed, thou art from everlasting. Now this reminds us then of Psalm 90, of Psalm 90, because in Psalm 90 we read, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so what we have here then of God. But notice this is all part of his majesty. It's all part of his glory. It's all part of the fact of who he is as the king. I don't know if you are aware of the fact that we had a president of a foreign country that appeared before our Congress recently, President uh, Zelensky of Ukraine. You know how he was dressed as he appeared before Congress? He was dressed as if he was going to the gym. Did you see the pictures of this? He wasn't dressed in any, uh, any appropriate clothing, right? Did you see that? He didn't show a lot of majesty, did he? The picture of majesty is that of beauty and glory and and the awesomeness of the ruler. You expect a ruler, whether it be the the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, or someone of that nature. You expect the person to be dressed in an appropriate way. Queen Elizabeth always stood out from the people. There was that dignity, even in the way that she dressed, or when she would appear in in official state functions, she would have the long train behind her as she was robed, and she would have the, the crown on her head. 
That's the picture that you have here. And that's the point. And that's why here in Psalm 93, that's why in conjunction with this affirmation that the Lord reigns, the psalmist goes on to say, he is clothed with majesty. He is, the Lord is clothed. He had himself strength. And part of his majesty as well is the fact that he is eternal. Thy throne is established from of old. Thou art from everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So number one, the majestic reign of God. Number two, verses three and four, the mighty reign. The mighty reign. Look at verse three. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. Again, notice the, the piling up, the heaping up of expressions here with regard to the waves or the waters. If you've ever been to the ocean, you know how mighty and how powerful it is. Even Lake Michigan, my wife and I used to live just a few miles from there and if you would travel over to Lake Michigan as you were getting, as you were just a hundred, couple hundred yards away, you could hear the lake. It's a big, mighty lake. You can hear the waves. Well, even more so if you go to the Atlantic or go to the Gulf of Mexico, you can hear the, the waves. And you know the power then that is behind that water, the sound the overwhelming power of the pounding surf. So there is power there, is there not? But my friends, God is the one who made the oceans and the seas. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 1, do we not? That God is the one who made the heavens and the earth, and in making the earth, he also separated the dry ground from the water. Did you ever, ever um, impress you that about three quarters of the earth is water? Isn't that interesting? Kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, none of us could, we couldn't very easily live if it was all covered in water, could we? And yet God has, even in establishing, even in bringing the, the separation between the water and the dry ground, it's interesting, is it not, that God, uh, that Still, three-quarters of the earth is water in Psalm 104. But, but the point is, is that God is the one who has made it. So therefore, he's the one who is sovereign over it. In Psalm 104, verses 6 and 7, the psalmist says, Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hastened away. Even though the waves are thunderous as you, as you travel to the ocean, travel to the beach, you hear those thunderous waves, the pounding of the surf, but God is the one who is sovereign over the waters, and he is far mightier then. What's also interesting here 
is that in scripture, floods and rivers often refer to worldly opposition. Floods and rivers often refer to worldly opposition. In Isaiah 57, in Isaiah uh, 57, verses 20 and 21, we read, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked, because the wicked are just like that, like the troubled sea. And so humanity, you see, is ever pictured as being in tumultuous turmoil and flux. There's no stability to the world, is there? All the inconsistencies, all the stupidities, all of the, the, the stupid things that we see going on in our society, they don't even know how many genders there are. Did you know that? Are you aware of that? Politicians today, mostly Democrats, some Republicans, do not know how many genders there are. Okay? That shows what's going on in our society. And that's true in terms of entertainment, in terms of education, in terms of so-called science. That's what you see all around us, do you not? In terms of the the constant flux and change and turmoil, that's what you have. Furthermore, floods are emblems or signs of worldly kingdoms. In Jeremiah 46, in Jeremiah 46 and verses 7 and 8, we read, Who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. We find the same theme in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 8, verse 7. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over all his channels and go over all his, the mighty Euphrates River that was being referred to there. But the point was that it was a symbol then of the worldly opposition that comes in like a flood. Isaiah 27 and verse 1, In that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, like a a great sea monster, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twin, he will slay the sea. Of course, that's Satan stirs up the nations. They're they're constantly being stirred up, just like water, just like to the people of God. So, 
What does the psalmist say in terms of God's mighty reign? Well, my friends, God is above. The Lord is above. Not only the physical flood, not only the the waters like we, we see in terms of the Chattahoochee or the Atlantic Ocean, but the Lord is above all the churning, all the turmoil, all the flux, all the, the tumultuous nature of the nations that are in rebellion against him. The nations are but as a drop in the bucket to him. And we who are in Christ should not fear. That's what verse 4 tells us. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. That's true of the physical waves. It's true of the nations that are portrayed as mighty floods. My friends, if we, if the Lord is on high and he's mightier, then we, if we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, then we too are above the breakers and the waves of the sea. And so we see then the majestic reign, we see the mighty reign, and then thirdly, we see the righteous reign. Verse 5, the psalmist says, Thy testimonies. Or we could say, thy affirmations. Now the word testimonies, as uh, the commentator Derek Kidner says, is, quote, a term which emphasizes that scripture rests on the integrity of God. The integrity of God. He's true. The integrity of God, who vouches for Scripture's statements, promises, warning, and commands. It is one of the set of words on which Psalm 119 rings the changes. In other words, celebrates it. And like, a, like, a, like ringing bells, that's the picture there. And so thy testimonies, thy affirmations. You see, God's revelation... God's testimonies, God's revelation, God's word, God's scripture is above all of the tumultuous waves. For God's word is very steadfast and sure. It is faithful and true. And that's what we find in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19 and verse 9, in Revelation 19 and the book of Revelation 19 and verse 9, I'm sorry, look at... um, Uh, Well, verse 9, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And then verse 11, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
and then also the book of Revelation chapter 22 and verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. These words are faithful and true. In other words, God, God's word is true, and God keeps his word. And that revelation then, which is faithful and true, is above all of the tumult, all of the change, all of the flux of the nations. God's word is steadfast and sure. But more than that, we see not only the righteous reign in terms of that, in terms of the testimonies, the affirmations by God, but notice the end of verse 5, holiness adorns thine house, O Lord, forever. See, the essence of the temple of God, the essence of the temple, and the essence of its inner glory is holiness. Holiness, meaning not just in terms of, of uh, righteousness, in terms of that which is right, but that which is set apart, that which is set apart. And man's holiness then, being dedicated to God, is the only fit response. Now, I have four points of application. The first is this. Acknowledge the word of God as being sure and set your seal upon it. Acknowledge the word of God as being sure and rely upon it and affirm it, if you will. So that's the first thing. As we come to the end of this year, as we, as we think forward to the next year, acknowledge the word of God as being sure. Therefore, commit yourself to it. Commit yourself to reading it and thinking about it. Number two, only those who labor to be holy and not those who are simply busy can expect God's protection or to be in his sanctuary above the tossing of the waves. Only those who labor to be holy, not simply those who are simply busy. And this is something that we ministers sometimes struggle with because we're always trying to do things. And we forget that there's something more basic than that. It's not simply laboring in the ministry, it's laboring to do something, but it is laboring, it is working to be holy. And only when we are that way, only when our focus is not so much on our doing, but on our being, on our being holy before God, that we can expect God's protection or expect to be with him in his sanctuary above the tossing of the waves. Number three, take heart. In the midst of being tossed up and down by life, God is in charge. Take heart. God is in charge. And therefore, any, anything that comes to you this, this year and next year as we look to the new year, anything that may come, any... Anything where you're, you're out on the waves and all of a sudden you've got, you're in a storm, don't think that God is not in charge of that. He is in charge. Because, as it says here, he is the one. He is the one 
who is on high, and he's mightier than the noise of many waters and than the mighty waves of the sea. And finally, remember the fulfillment of this psalm by Christ. Remember the fulfillment by Christ. He is the one who demonstrated his kingship over the wind and the waves, as we read today from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. As he was asleep in the boat, and the storm came, and the disciples were afraid, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What does he do? He wakes up. They waken him, and he says, Peace, be still. You see, when we look at Psalm 93, we need to remember that Jesus is the one who fulfilled it. And the reason why he's able to fulfill it is precisely because Jesus is God. Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus is God come in the flesh. And he demonstrated his kingship over the wind and the waves. Therefore, as we look to God, we, looked, we must look to Christ and cry out to him for his assistance. He is the one who declared his kingship over all things after he rose from the dead. Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority, all power is given to me and in heaven and on earth, not just in terms of governments, but everything, you see, belongs to him. And he is the one from which nothing including various perils, such as viruses, or being tossed by waves. He is the one from which nothing will separate us. And so I conclude then with Paul's writing from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, my friends, as we look at this little psalm in which the psalmist proclaims and celebrates God's majestic kingship, let us remember that we are celebrating and rejoicing in the majestic kingship of Christ, the one to whom all power has been given, the one who has promised that nothing can separate us from him, nothing takes him by surprise. The Lord Jesus, you see, on high, is mightier than the noise of many waters and than the mighty waves of the sea. May God comfort us with that truth. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And Father, we do ask now for thy blessing to rest upon us.
And Lord, we pray that throughout the rest of this week and as we start a new year, our Father, we pray that there might be a real sense of us. And uh, we pray, Lord, uh, that we might be comforted by the knowledge that our God reigns and there is nothing that can upset his reign and his sovereignty over us. So be pleased, Lord, to bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.